I can't think of anything worse than taking those employees that are so incredibly re-energized and happy to have this new way of looking at work than to literally uh, put cameras around their desks so you can have some call center in India literally watch them all day long. Welcome to 33 Tangents, a weekly podcast featuring a rotating panel of co-hosts that all work together in the same company, but live in different areas of the world. The discussions cover a wide variety of topics from digital analytics to working remotely to current happenings in business and technology. Our regular day-to-day conversations often go off in various directions, and the goal of this podcast is to share our ideas and find new ways to engage with others. I just got a text message from Vans, uh, and so I guess apparently I'm enrolling in some kind of giveaway because I need more shoes. <laughs> um, so yeah, I got that going on, and I'm I have a huge backlog of books, and I got a package in the mail yesterday. He lost sent me some coffee, um, so I can stay. I think she likes to keep me highly caffeinated. Um. And then I got, she sent me a book. Nice. Okay. So it's the memoir of the Vans founder who just, who died recently. Um, okay. So I guess I'm going to add that to my stack of books to read. How about you? I, I had this goal to read a bunch of great books over the summer and I, and I still hoping to get to it, but I'm, I'm, I'm sorely behind. Yeah. The su- the summer totally got away from me. Yeah. It's like you blinked and it's like, what, it's September already? It's crazy. Yeah, yeah we're, we're going into the middle of September already. Um, and there's there's no signs of slowing down. In fact, actually, I was talking with a client about this the other day. I said, it's funny. The older I get, the faster I feel like time is speeding up. It, it, it does feel that way. Because I, I remember, like, you're, we were probably similar. I don't know, elementary school, third, fourth grade christmas thinking about christmas in like october like oh my god it's like oh it's so far away it's gonna take so long and now it gets to october and i'm like we haven't prepped at anything we are so far behind it's gonna like blink and it's gonna be here we're not gonna be prepared you know that, that, that's exactly it it's crazy um, it, it, it's the exact same same thing. I, I think of the, you know, the Christmas example, because yeah, when you're, you're that young, it's like, you're checking off the days and now it's like, I know Thanksgiving's here. I know Christmas is going to be here like that. Yeah. Um, so it's, so, and it's weird because I mean, I've done a lot over the last 20 years, you know, I've, you know, done, done some traveling, done a lot with work. Um, I've done a lot of things, but I also don't know where the last 20 years went. I feel like I should still be back in college. I know. Yeah, it's it is a crazy, crazy feeling. Take take advantage of the time you have. You and I have had several of those discussions, um, and I've had. Uh, you know, I think we pre pre show backstage we came up with some future podcast ideas. I I was thinking about another one this week because I've had three conversations. Well, there's been three opportunities for two conversations, and I'm going to create the third around the same topic. So this morning, uh, I didn't make a latte because I ran out of some supplies. So I'm having tea this morning and I'm drinking it from my nice Patagonia camp mug. And it's a little on the pricey side. 
Um, but man, it's such a good mug that feels good in your hand. And like the, the quality of the insulation that the drink stays warm for a long time is awesome. Um, and I was thinking about it because also this week, um, I had a conversation with Jim Gordon about rice cookers and, okay. you know, why should I spend $170 on a rice cooker when I can just get one for like $40? And I had a similar conversation with Hila last night. She's like, well, what's the difference between like a $40 chef's knife and a $140 chef's knife? Um, so I'm thinking there may be some fun future conversations in paying for quality and what, what you get for investing in, in quality. And is it really worth it? Is it worth to pay a hundred dollars more for a knife? I mean, they both cut, right? You know, why should I pay like $30 for my Patagonia mug when I can get one for $2 at the Walmart? I mean, they both hold hot liquids, right? So that might be a, a fun discussion to have. And by the way, on the rice cooker, if you're into rice, yeah, I, I am, I, I am kicking myself that I didn't buy a high end rice cooker 20 years ago. It is one of the best purchases I have ever made. It's funny. My wife and I come back to this every, every now and then. And so like the way we were both raised was to look for the cheapest price at times, look, you know, do, do bargain shopping, which don't get me wrong. It has its place and, and whatnot. But at the same time, we, we try to remind ourselves, don't always go for the lowest price. Mm-hmm. Like, like take a moment to assess, like, what is the, t- you know, what are the times where you want to spend the money and, and do it that way versus when is it the, 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 the most advantageous move is to, is to shop for the lowest price. And we do like a lot of times, especially when it comes to stuff for the house, we've, we've learned just from experience that, the lowest price chances are you're going to be buying it again. Something's yeah. going to happen to it. I mean, you know, just spend from a replacement the extra money. cost. Yeah. Just from a replacement cost, it's cheaper if you're in the position to do it, to buy quality. Um, and then when you add on top of it, the experience that you get, man, I think there's a lot of parallels with business there. That can be a fun one to uh, tease out. So yeah, let's do it. Cool. And then, a moment ago, I had my segue into Uh-oh. to our topic for today, but I, I yeah, I, I I lost it. Well, I mean, sometimes you just have to cut right to the hook. Yeah, yeah. You know, let's jump right into it today. Um, so I wanted to continue our our talk around remote work, and I had another topic to talk about, but I decided to push that to next week where we wrap this up. Um there was something you posted on social media the other day that made me think like, yes, this needs to be our talk this week. So right now, like this fall was supposed to be the return to the office, the mass return to the office. But what we're seeing is that, you know, in many areas, many companies, it's being delayed and even delayed indefinitely. Um, And I've even seen some talk about it being a limited return to the office or or conditional in that like if you have a certain role we need you to come in if not you you know we'd rather you not come into the office or it's only come in if there's a reason to come into the office 
um, whether that be you need two, three days to, to collaborate with other people in person, but otherwise limit, limit returning to the office. But that's not what I want to talk about, though. What I want to talk about is this undercurrent I've been seeing with those conversations. And it's around how are we going to manage these people? If our return to the office is now delayed indefinitely, or even we're going to convert the office into something else, um, how are we going to manage them? And this this conversation, because last week our conversation was around the extreme sides of, of, of a debate. With this one, the one, one extreme we've seen is employers considering software that you know can enable them to, and I'm going to do air quotes for, for those listening, check in on their employees to make sure that they're at their desk, which is disturbing on so many levels. So you saw my LinkedIn post, right? That's, that's oh yeah, I read it. And I'm like, this it. is this is it. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm gonna put that in, in the show notes. And I mean, there, there are so many things that come to mind with that. I mean, the fact that you know this disturbing level of you know, I, I can check in on someone and, you know, th that implies using the camera because, hey, in the office, I can walk up behind you and see what you're doing um, with that, too. But part of the first question actually comes to mind is, are people that unoriginal that this is the only way we can um, manage a team remotely? Well, I think I think one people fear change. Um and and so they 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 push back against any any type of change. Um, two, yeah, I mean, unoriginal. They 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 don't want to put the hard work into figuring out how to do this. And so the easy answer is that let's just replicate this other thing in this other environment. And 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 you've probably already seen it. You know, there there's a couple um, popular software packages out there that a few of our clients over the years have used that literally try to replicate the office. You have like a virtual office. You log into this virtual office. Do you remember, and this is really going to date me, uh, I had an NEC computer in, in college and it came preloaded with um, this Windows software that was like a bedroom, like a bedroom scene. And like it had like a, a word processor sitting on a desk. If you wanted to launch your word processor, you would click on the word processor. It had a calendar on the wall. If you wanted to launch the calendar, you clicked on the calendar. I don't know if it was like something unique with this NEC computer and Microsoft. But anyway, it was kind of like the portal to your computer was this virtual room. And I don't know if okay, you've yeah, seen I don't, it. I don't remember that software. Okay. I, I had an NEC computer in college too, but I don't remember that software. I'm, we've seen something similar with some of these larger companies we work with. They're running this software that is basically that. It's a virtual room and like people have offices and you go to there, you get on the, this website and you walk your little avatar to this virtual office and then you get in that virtual office with someone and then you click on them to have this conversation and it just feels like uninspiring, un unoriginal. Let's, you know, the office is so important. Let's try to replicate it as much as possible, even if it's like a virtual view of the office. And it just has me, has me shaking my, my head. So, I mean, I think it's a combination to your question. I think it's a combination of one, people just don't want like change. So trying to cling to whatever it looked like before we want to replicate that now as much as possible and two people just in general don't like to put in a lot of hard thinking work and this is hard thinking work this is this isn't an easy problem to solve and it takes a lot of thought 
um, and mental processing to figure out how to create um, a, a strategy where, where this works for your organization. And people just don't like to put in that time. So that, that to me is why we're, we're kind of going down this path of let's just try to replicate it as much as possible in the, off, you know, at remote, like we had in the office. Yeah. Cause I, I mentioned multiple times um, on here uh, last year with uh, the school district, my wife uh, used to teach in when they announced that they were going remote. The first thing that came to my mind was, is you actually have an opportunity mm. to really come up with a way to help these students through this tough time of, of really working with them. And all they did was just copy the classroom onto a computer. Yeah. So you had all of these teachers, right. all of these students sitting for six hours a day in front of a screen yeah, and just the teacher there dictating and the students just sitting there and just sitting there. Yeah. It doesn't work. No, it, just, it didn't it, work. People yeah. were so frustrated with it. No. Students were frustrated with it. Students just stopped coming to class. Yeah. And the teachers were frustrated because it was hard to get the students to engage. Yeah. And nobody was happy. Yeah. And I, I think you're going to see that same parallel in, in business. If, if you just try to take in the office and virtualize it, it's, it is not going to work. Employees are going to be unhappy. Employers are going to be unhappy and frustrated. It is, it, you're going to have to take the time and look, I give both educators and employers a pass at the beginning of the pandemic because everyone was scrambling. And so it's like, let's just make do what, with what we can. It's been 18 months. 18 months. We have, we've had time and we've had time to really think about what are we going to do going forward? So at, at this point in time, there really isn't any really great excuses for not having put the time into thinking about how we should do this in a way that it's something new. It isn't something we're just trying to replicate the, as you say, same old, same old, you know, this is a, this is a new scenario that we need to think about in, in new and creative ways. Yeah. And, and you brought up a good point there about like, at first everybody was just scrambling. And while there was initial case at first, people kind of settled in Yeah, and there was no need for this kind of, of oversight this need to create the virtual office right um and yes there was a need at first you know everybody was on webcams everybody was on zoom cam yeah you know on zoom video chats but what i've seen after that is is a lot of people just start turning off their camera companies are like don't turn on the camera unless you absolutely have to and people adapted to it and then Things were, at least I felt, at least the the clients I engage with, once you got through that initial kind of panic yeah. and like, what are we going to do here? And once people really started to settle in and get comfortable, there was a great deal of productivity. People were, were feeling great. Um, and now all of a sudden it's like, well, we're, you know, we need to, you know, even though things have been for, again, I'm going to just overgeneralize here. For the most part, from my, the the sample size I've been able to 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 collect from, things are going good. But now all of a sudden, we need to put on the put the the, the levels of bureaucracy back in place. Yeah, I mean we're we're getting to that point where, as as much as many organizations have thrashed against the thought of allowing employees 
the continued opportunity to to work remote the writing's on the wall and they they're, they're starting to accept it now it's like this is going to happen and so now the brain starts thinking uh-oh how are we going to keep tabs on them and make sure they're not messing around and you know we need to make sure that they're actually doing work and um the 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 driver for creating the post I did on LinkedIn was this, I can't remember if it was a survey, um, but there was a, a post someone put up talking about, you know, what levels of surveillance from your employer are acceptable to you as an, as an employee. Uh, and there was one guy completely unironically saying, well, I don't understand why this, any of this is even a problem. Like your employer um, has every right to like, sit over your shoulder, look over your shoulder, see what you're doing all day, see what time you come in, see what time you leave, watch everything you're doing. Why shouldn't they have that same functionality for you working remotely? And I just cringed. I'm like, oh, this is such a slippery slope that we are, are going down. And to be fair, this really isn't new. I, I was at, I may have talked about this on a previous podcast episode. What was it? 2004, 2005, I was at Omniture. Um, and there was a, there was a pretty firm understanding that your, your butt is in the seat at a certain time and you don't leave, um, before a certain time. And we were all on, um, a shared instant messenger. I want to say it was AOL instant messenger at the time. Most likely. Yeah, I think it was. Um, and you know, it has the little green dot if you're active and the yellow dot if you're away. And come to find out the managers were using that status on AOL instant messenger to see who was sitting at their desk and, uh, some enterprising uh, engineer in the company wrote a little piece of software that he distributed to everybody and sent it around and said, Hey, just run this and it will keep your icon green the whole time. (laughs) So like, this isn't new, like, you know, this has, this has been around for, for a long time, but it's starting to get to the point now where you remove the office entirely where it's becoming very, very concerning from a privacy standpoint. And, and even bigger than that, to me, it's just a trust standpoint that we now are talking about really invasive surveillance software um, in order to allow employees to go remote. And just as a parallel, because I have a friend that is doing remote learning at the uh, higher ed level, and he's sharing with me some of um, how that is set up, and I just want to vomit. It is so, I mean, I get it to an extent of why they're doing it, but he said, like, for taking a quiz in a class, um, they've contracted with a company out of India to proctor the exams, and, like, you literally have, like, multiple cameras on you in your home setup, and someone in a call center in India is watching you the entire time. And there's like, like there's certain things you can't do. Like you can't take your hands out of sight of the camera and you can't have certain things on your desk. And it's like, this is so wrong on so many levels. And, you know, we can go down a a freaking hole on this from a higher education level, but it gets to my, I think there's a parallel. So from a higher education level, this has always been my frustration with higher education is that the emphasis is on the grade and the paper degree and not on what you learn in college. And, and that's what this is. Like they're so concerned about protecting the grade that they've lost track of their mission and that is to teach and to learn. And it's the same with, with the office. Like we're losing, 
we're losing our vision of why we even have employees. Like our employees are there to create value for our customers. And we've lost that. And all of a sudden now it's like, no, no, no. The value of our employees is how many hours they're physically typing on a keyboard. And it's just, it's just nonsensical to me. It just is, it's not good in yeah. either of those scenarios. Yeah. And, and there, there's a couple things I want to talk to about that point, but like, you know, we'll start with the last one. I forget who I was talking to recently and they're, they were asking me and they're like, well, how does your company know if you're doing a good job? And I said, this is in many ways subjective. It's simple, but it works. Are clients happy? Are, you know, <laughs> yeah. do, do clients feel like they're getting the value that they, they should be getting? Do they feel like things are productive? Do they feel like we're helping improve their, their state? If, if the answer is yes, then, then yes, like um, everything is fine. It really isn't more complicated than that. I'm sure there's lots of nuance to like the bits and pieces and expectations. Oh, yes, it's it's overly role. simplified. But in general, that is the answer. And it's the answer to so many things. And it's funny you bring that up because I got it, uh, into a debate last week with someone because I, you know, I, I have such an issue with the Inc. 500 awards. It just, they really grind my gears, man. I'm like these to, they, to me, they don't tell the full story of what's happening in a, in a business. And I got into a bit of a debate with someone that said, well, those are important because they use those as marketing to attract employees that they're, they're a great company. I'm like, this seems backwards to me. Like as a, as a potential employee, I would want to look at your customers and say, are your customers happy? Because if your customers are happy, then I know you have a, a setup in your organization where your employees are happy and your employees are doing things that are important because that translates into customer success and customer happiness. And so for me, that I would much rather look at that than, oh, you're on the best places to work. I, yeah, I want to work for you. It's, it's the same thing here, right? Is that um, that again, we've oversimplified it, but that is the measure. You know, are are the are the customers that Jim is working with? Are they having a great positive experience, and are they happy? If the answer is yes, that's then he's doing his job, right? I we don't need keystroke loggers and cameras and tattlers to say how long like he was sitting in front. We don't need any of that. Mm -hmm. This is not necessary. Yeah, and so then when you were talking about the higher ed example, I hadn't heard that, and that did that just further takes the not you know takes the creepiness level up multiple notches yeah in my opinion like i mean that so is incredibly scary. uncomfortable to say the least because i mean that conditions those people to be constantly watched and i think back to this consulting firm i interviewed with like 14 15 years ago and like i got a bad feeling right away and then like my subsequent conversations just confirmed it and i, I walked away but when I went into the office for the interview, they had software that they had designed themselves mm. to keep track of people. So you were sitting in your desk and are you active on your computer? What are you actively logging? So you have this piece of software running on your computer that you're saying, okay, I'm working on this project. Then I'm working on this one. And then they had a giant screen in the middle of the room that kind of showed everyone's current work and what they're working on, how long they've been on this item down to the task level. And then they had a screen for that in the director's office. So at any point he could look up and see who's, who's active, who's been inactive and all of that. And I'm like, 
that's just no. I, yeah, I, no. And again, I think a lot of this goes back to how we've built our education system and our employment. I think probably post World War One, post World War Two, where it was built around factory work, and we've taken that same mentality and we've tried to overlay what it took to run a successful factory and we've overlaid that on top of knowledge work it's just such a broken system to do that we're taking two completely different paradigms for doing work and we're saying okay and and again like it's a great kind of parallel to how we started the conversation let's just take what worked in the office and apply it to remote work it's as silly as saying well let's just take what worked in a factory and apply it to knowledge work like this is the same level, right? If it, if it didn't work to apply the model of factory work to knowledge work, it's not going to work to apply the model of knowledge work in an office to knowledge work remotely. It is that different that we have to think about it differently. And if we try to overlay this framework, it, it is it is simply going to to fail miserably because it, it just doesn't work. And and we find ourselves um, kind of scratching our head when we think, man, look at all these companies. They're billions of dollars and all the smartest people in the world. Why are they not creating anything really important? This is why, right? Like they're, they're, they're prioritizing typing on a keyboard, right? They're prioritizing taking a widget from a bin and putting it on an item on an assembly line. But that's not what we do. We think we're knowledge workers. It's It has yeah. that title for... A reason and it um, interesting timing. I'm reading this book on uh, product management right now, and the chapter I was reading last night was on ideation. Um, and the author she mentioned the importance of thinking time when it comes to product management. And she said, you know, oftentimes when we're in brainstorming sessions or we're sitting in front of our computer looking at mocks or reading customer feedback, we just we get stuck. And she's like, some of my most valuable ideas. Uh, or, or came to me when I got up and left. You know, I went for a walk around the, the block. I got in my car and I drove somewhere. I went, like, yeah, I'm going to go grab something to eat. That's when the breakthrough came. And when we prioritize the typing on keyboard, we're, we're, we're basically saying that thinking time is not important. And then we wonder why our employees aren't coming up with creative ideas and solutions. And we're just kind of, again, I'm going to use your same line because I like it. We're just kind of doing same old, same old. That's like, yeah. well, yeah, that's because that's what you are asking your employees to do, whether directly or not. This framework you have in place of watching them is telling them it's more important for you to type on your keyboard than it is for you for you to do deep thinking. Was it you or somebody else I was talking to a while back about a developer development job interview? And one of the pieces of criteria that they were evaluating was lines of code per minute or something like that. Mm, that you? No, it wasn't me. Okay. I, I forget who I was talking to then, but they were talking about that. And like, and I think it was like, it was like a senior level position. It wasn't like entry level developer. Um, it, it was like a senior level position where at that point it's you're not just cranking out code to your point it's thinking how's the best way we do this how do we handle it how do we architect it right lines of code per minute is 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 inconsequential no that's meaning yeah, yeah. and 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 these things are really important especially where we're we're talking about putting numeric measures on how well our employees are doing 
again, we, we see this all the time in our work. What Whatever you decide to choose as your metric, that's what you're going to manage against. And so if, if your employees are being compensated and rewarded on lines of code written and speed of that, they're going to write a ton of code really, really fast. It doesn't matter if it's good or not because that's what you're rewarding. So you have to be really, really careful. And again, as employees are staying home and companies we're not going to be able to stop it. They're going to roll out this software. They're going to roll out this measurement. And some executive is going to have some fancy dashboard that he's going to be proud of that says, here's a list of all my employees. Here's active time. Here's timekeeping. Here's, I guarantee you they're going to have keystroke log- loggers and they're going to like number of number of keys pressed per minute. These are metrics that executives are going to look at and they're going to start measuring that and employees are going to see it. And it's going to change employee behavior where they're going to start mimicking the things that they're being um, measured on. And that's not necessarily a great thing because oftentimes they're the wrong metrics. And and then as a company, again, we're, we, we, we're going to sit back and wonder, wait a minute, why, why aren't our employees creating anything great? This is yeah. pretty, well, we created that. Yeah, it's that great story from Scott Adams' book, uh, The Dilbert Principle. Mm-hmm. Like, this is Which one I story I'll on never forget. Key. I read. I have it that? on my bookshelf somewhere. Yeah. Like, this is something I read this book like 20 years ago, and I'll never forget this story. You know, at that point, he was, he was a software developer, and a new corporate quality initiative was, you know, came down from on high, and it was, um, you know, a, you know, um, I forget the amount of money he used, but it was like a small dollar amount for bugs found, small dollar mm. amount for, for bug fixes. And he's like, overnight, a black market of bugs and fixes popped up between the developers and the QA, um, the QA folks. And yeah, yeah, they, 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 and they started doing that. Hey, we're fixing this many bugs. We're, you know, we've got, you know, we found this many bugs. We're finding more bugs now. So we're doing better. And that absolutely happens. And I was a oh, soft- absolutely does. I was a software engineer once too in the early 2000s, and I saw that happen on my team. And I don't think it was. I don't even think that the engineers were purposefully doing it. It was. I think a lot of it was subconscious. So um, there were. So at that point in time, there was this popular grading, and maybe it still is. I don't know. Uh, mechanic with employees where you grade on a curve, and you have to force you have to force a standard normal distribution. So you you have to, so let's say you have a team of 10. You have to have two high performers, you have to have two low performers, and then you have to have six performers, the fat part of the curve. And everyone noticed that the high performers, which came with a bonus, were the ones that were working late night to fix bugs and issues with the software. And, and then come to find out again, I don't, I don't want to say this was a conscious decision, but come to find out it was the same engineers that were introducing the bugs into the system that were fixing the bugs to get the bonuses. And again, the bad side of it is they were doing it purposefully. I I think I choose to believe that, um, it was just subconscious that the system rewarded them for fixing bugs. So it lowered the quality of their day-to-day work to allow bugs to be introduced so they could fix the bugs. And, <laughs> you know, it just is a weird, weird system that we create. And we, we never question it. Like these systems stay in place for decades without anyone going in and questioning that 
is this actually producing the output that we expect it to, you know? Yeah. Um, it reminds me of this one agency I worked for where one of your quarterly goals was your billability rate. Mm -hmm. Like that was the, that was the goal. It wasn't just used as a measure to say, you know, Hey, listen, you're, you're not billing enough. What are you spending your time on? It was, which, I mean, we don't agree with, but again, it wasn't even used in that context. It was, you know, your goal is this. So of course you found people finding every which way to justify down to 15 minute increments that they spent time on a client. Do you know, um, the bad outcomes that that sometimes creates? Oh yeah. Clients like you build me this much this last month or this quarter. What was that actually spent on? I was deposed once. Well, I've been deposed a couple of times. I was deposed once where, um, a client claimed that the company that I worked for fraudulently was fraudulently billing. And I, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna say one way or another, but it was a very, very heavy handed focus on hitting your billable utilization rate. And if you didn't hit it, you were going to get whipped. And so that caused the employees again, consciously or subconsciously to most likely fake hours. Absolutely. I think we've probably all done it to one degree or another. Any of us that have worked under a billable hour model. Well, let me, let me, let me couch that by saying any of us that have worked under a billable hour model where the management team, where our, where our success and employability was based on our utilization rate, a hundred percent of us in those scenarios have fudged the numbers, not drastically, not I did one hour work. I'm going to build 20, but I did 15 minutes of work. I'm going to build two hours. Absolutely. Absolutely. has happened. I, I guarantee it. And, and so again, like that is going to be the output of these programs that these companies put in place. And I just don't think they're thinking about it. You know, they're thinking about just the surface level discussions. How can we make sure that Jim gets up, turns on his computer at eight o'clock, sits there for most of the day. We'll allow him a lunch between 12 and one, and then he can shut down around five thirty-six. We need to buy software to ensure that what they don't understand is they're going to create outputs that they don't want. And having seen it many, many times, it just makes me question the competence of upper management in these companies to say, have you never seen this happen before? Have you never been in a scenario where you picked the wrong metric and it created the wrong outcome for you? Has that never happened? I, I find it hard to believe it's never happened in your career. So why aren't we learning from these mistakes of the past and saying, wait a minute, is this really the output that we want to create? Or are we trying to create something different? And then let's align a framework that allows us to properly measure that because yeah sure i think there's an importance to to measurement you know we can simplify it again to is the client happy or not but other companies are going to have much more complex measures and that's okay but you have to pick the right measures for the outcomes that you want to create and i'm just i'm really concerned right now that these heavy-handed um approaches of just literally spying on your employees all day is not going to create the outcomes that companies want to have created. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, I, I have no doubt that, that, that that's going to be the result. Um, because all I can think of is, yeah, like to the point where I have software where I can check in via your webcam to see what you are doing. You'll just have people that are just sitting there doing nothing. 
Yeah. And hey, I'm sitting at my desk. That's right. And but remember, that's happening now in the office, right? <laughs> we're just we're just making it more toxic. And that was that was to my point on LinkedIn on my post. I said, you know, a lot of the stuff we were doing, and that, and you know, to this guy's comment, I don't understand why this is wrong. Like we're already doing this in the office, uh huh, and it's wrong now. So why are we going to replicate it remotely? So the fact that you're already doing in the office doesn't make it right. Like you're, you're, you're empowering or you're telling your employees that it is much more important for you to sit at your desk doing nothing than it is for you to do something else, which is not sitting at your desk, which may be more important. It's such a weird, weird, weird broken system. I'm going to share, I'm going to share one more example from, from Omniture because it was, Man, some weird, some weird stuff happened at that company. Uh, I very grateful for my time there. A lot of questionable management at that company at the time. Um, so, um, there was a irrigation canal, a fairly large irrigation canal behind the building that we worked in. Uh, I was up on this grass berm, had a pretty good flow of water through it. Uh, and I don't know about you, but when I was young and, and this, this again, probably dates, dates me and probably puts me in a certain part of the world. When I was, when I was young, irrigating was how a lot of people watered their lawns and crops. It's, you know, there was these ditches that run, ran through the city with less than clean water. And that's what you, you're, you know, watered your lawn with and, my, my grandparents' backyard had an irrigation canal that ran through it. And I remember me and my sister and other friends would race popsicle sticks in that. We would like, you know, decorate them and like draw on them and create cool boats and popsicle sticks. And we'd race them in the canal. It was so much fun. Um, so we decided to do that at Omnitra. It's like, oh, we, nice. have some, we have this amazing irrigation canal behind the behind our office. Let's, let's race popsicle sticks. So I don't know, maybe once or twice a week we would – we would buy um, a popsicle or ice cream on a stick out of the vending machine. We'd go outside and kind of just wander around, sit under a tree, eat the ice cream, kind of hang out. There's a group of like eight or 10 of us that, that did this. Um, and then when we were all done, we would walk to a bridge and we would all drop our stick in and then we'd walk down to the next bridge over the canal and we would watch the, the, the see who won. See who won. Um, management didn't like that. And uh, they made it very clear that we were to stop the uh, popsicle stick races in the canal. Um, and I'm like, this is literally taking 15 to 20 minutes out of our day twice a week. And the camaraderie and the collaboration and bringing people together from other teams um, was creating such value. There were actually people on different parts of the organization coming together that created bonds and friendships that then we would go back in the office and it's like, Oh yeah, let me ping so-and-so over in engineering or let me talk to so-and-so in accounting. Make it because we now had created that bond through the stupid popsicle stick races. But the management team, it was, it was not the look that we were going for. We need to be at our desk working. We're, we're, we're a bit too professional to race popsicle sticks in the, in the irrigation canal. And I still to this day shake my head about, it. I'm like, you guys, are so short-sighted in your vision. You had no clue the value that that little thing was happening. That little thing was creating for the organization, and and I think that's just a 
small example of a probably much larger conversation of that happening in pockets all over the place. And it's like, man, you know, like we're so, so stuck on someone sitting at their desk. What are we doing here? You know? And if nothing else, you know, sure. I think we should put the client right up there. Are we creating positive experiences for our client? But if nothing else, why can't we have positive environments for our employees to work in? Really, like the 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 profitability of our company is going to take tank because ten guys go out and race popsicle sticks for thirty minutes a week. Really, that's what we're saying. Yeah, I mean, within those thirty minutes, man, you could have you know you know built a new feature that you know sold you know several large contracts. It's crazy to me, man. So yeah. anyway, I, I I think it's a good visual story for what we're we're recreating. That and and we actually had an episode. I can't I can't remember the name of the software, but we had a I think a CEO on maybe at the very start of the pandemic. Though that's beginning whole, of last year, he was creating software to do this, right? And yeah, um, you know, it's only ex- exploded since then. And um, we're going to see big enterprise companies really invest heavily in the space. And it's just, I, again, I'm, I'm concerned for what it's going to create as, as outputs from this. Um, but in just thinking about the employee, I, I can't think of much worse that would make, that would take something from, you know, we've, we've done this for a long time. We've talked to friends that work remotely. We've saw, we've seen, people that have been exposed to it for the first time in the companies we've worked with over the the length of the pandemic, man, they're happy, you know, and they're seeing a different way to, to live and work. And um, I can't think of anything worse than taking those employees that are so incredibly re-energized and happy to have this new way of looking at work than to literally uh, put cameras around their desks so you can have some call center in India literally watch them all day long. It would go from feeling autonomous and feeling free and really creating good work to being like, this is a thousand times worse than being in the office. I'm miserable. I'm anxious. I'm depressed. This is a horrible, horrible. Man, the thought of getting up and walking in here in the morning knowing that someone's going to be staring at me on a camera, oof. No the, way, the, the creepy factor of that alone, it, it, it furthers like this desire I have right now to just move to a cabin in the middle of nowhere. <laughs> like there are times yeah, like yeah, man, seeing man. some of these creepy things start to come in. It's like, you know, like move to move to rural America um, and and just to get away from, from some of this. And... It's, it's, it's disturbing. Um, but I think employees have some power and I think they need to speak up uh, because right now there are lots of companies that are open to providing good work, remote work experiences and come and, and, you know, top employees are, are in demand. And so if you, if you're an employee and you have options and you're creating massive value for the company you're working for, and they're starting to roll out these surveillance systems. I think it's your duty, it's your obligation to speak up, because if we, you know, if we don't, then this is going to happen, and it's going to, I think, potentially set things back. I don't know how far, a lot, 
you know, we've made we've made some tremendous progress in providing employee autonomy through the remote work movement. Um, there's lots of archaic things that this World War II factory inspired office uh, needs to be fixed still to this day. But I, I really fear that employers adopting a remote strategy out of they have no other choice. And so they're going to take these very toxic decisions is going to set things back incredibly far. I think it's going to create a well, a, a wave of mental health problems with employees. And if you're an employee, if you're a manager and you're in a position to say something that can have an impact, I think it's, it's your obligation and duty to do so. Yeah. Think about it this way too. You know, going back to what that one person said, we're already doing this in the office yeah. and a lot of people become miserable with the office. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I know I could never go back into working in an office and I never enjoyed it. I always had this, you know, desire to not be in the office. Um, but if you're then going to put these kind of measures in place for people working from home, think about it this way. Yeah. If you're going into an office, you can get away from it. You can go home. Yeah. If they're putting these measures in place in, in your, your home, yeah. you can't get away from it. Yeah, it's, 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 it's a very, very dangerous road that, uh, that we're going down and I'm, I'm quite fearful of, of what it could potentially become. Hopefully the counterbalance of so many organizations taking a more healthy, positive approach to this will balance it out, but that is yet to be seen. Yeah. And one of the things I want to kind of leave us with is, and this is something that's always kind of stuck in my head is, is. Why can't work be fun? Because if you think about it, we we work forty plus years of our lives. You know, like you know, if, if you you know, if you want to say, hey, you know, at least for us, you know, we graduate college at twenty two, we work forty years or forty five years until we're sixty two or sixty seven. Why do we want those forty plus years to be miserable? Why can't we have some fun? That, I mean, that is the question. Um, and I think a lot of it has to do with the structure of how we, we look at work. And I need to do a lot more study and research on this. But just anecdotally, it, it, again, I think it, it, it seems like there was a fundamental change in work somewhere around the two big world wars. And that fundamentally changed how we educate how we work. If you remember uh, at the time, um, there was a focus on getting people in factories to create munitions and other supplies for the war. And so, you know, whether it was through education or work, the emphasis was on factory work to, to support the war efforts. And then it never went away. You know, that, that framework for how we teach school and how we do work never went away. And we're not, we're not fighting those type of world wars anymore. Um, it's a different, it's a different reality now, but we've kept that framework in place for how we, how we educate our kids and how we work. And, um, you can see it in day to day. Um, just look at the hierarchies in companies. How much does it closely mirror the hierarchies in the military? Just look at the terms we use going into battle, the war room, the, you know, there's so many terms in business that we use that are, are borrowed from the military. And it's, it's not coincidence. It's because work 
was fashioned after the military to support the war effort. And war isn't fun, you know? Uh, Being in battle isn't fun. So I think until we get to a point where we can change that narrative that we're no longer working to support a war effort and we change the whole structure and paradigm of work, it's always going to be a challenge to have work fun because what it's modeled after war is not fun. Yeah. And, and to, to talk about that for a second, you know, I I think it started with the industrial revolution, but then amped up to your point, it, it really amped up between, you know, with in the first half of the 20th century. And it's just never gone away. Yeah. You know, like they, it's like they doubled down or tripled down on the mindset that was introduced with the industrial revolution of having these people on an assembly line working through things and then just amped it up. And yeah, it's just never gone away. Never gone away. And so, I mean, I think that's and, a great answer to your question of why it's not fun. <laughs> yeah. No, it, it, it's a very good point. It is a very good point. And kind of going back to your example with higher education, like the, the multiple cameras while you're taking a test in your home, like I got to ask, what is that conditioning people to be used to? Mm -hmm. I mean, it's conditioning them to be autonomous robots, not autonomous humans, right? It's, it's conditioning them to be a robot that does what, the master says, like, take this, put that there. And that's how constrained this testing proctoring system was. Like, you have to look this way, hands here, like, we're robots now, you know? And it's, it, it continues to reinforce that factory work mentality that this is how we work and this is number of widgets produced, lines of code written. That's, that's what's most important. Mm-hmm. But it, yeah. And so isn't. what you have now is, the potential for that to slip away. So they have to bring back the constraints of the office. I think yep. that's ultimately kind of coming back to, to our, our initial question is, is it's to bring the constraints of the office to something which could be very freeing for many people, not to be hyperbolic, but that's. No, but it's, it's such a critical time in, in how we think about work. We have, you know, the, the pandemic has been, hell for a lot of people and really hard but something good has to come out of this and for me this is such an ideal time to rethink both education and work you know this is an opportunity for us to say okay it may have worked at one point but it's no longer working now let's not continue this let's rethink how we think about work and let's do this differently we have an opportunity to do that now let's not let it pass by yes agreed so let's go ahead and wrap up there for now um i think those are great closing thoughts so cool cool man well this has been fun yeah loving this, the, this remote work topic it's it's something we get asked about all the time yeah so we will go ahead and wrap up for now and catch everybody later thanks for listening Thank you for listening to this week's episode of 33 Tangents. If you enjoyed what you heard, please rate and review the show on your favorite podcast aggregator so others can find us. If you would like to reach us, you can do so by emailing podcast at 33sticks.com or on the web at 33tangents.33sticks.com. 33 Tangents is a production of 33 Sticks, an analytics boutique.